listening to another episode of the Beulah Girl podcast. For links, related resources, and even more encouragement, visit BeulahGirl.com. Hi, friends. Thanks so much for tuning in. I am Carol Whitaker, and you've tuned into the Beulah Girl podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Susie Lawley, and we are doing a series on depression. Tonight is our first episode, and normally the roles are reversed. Normally, Susie is the one asking me the questions, but tonight you have a real treat in that Susie is going to be sharing, very honestly, her own story about a period of life where she was going through a hard time, a five-year period where she struggled with depression. And she's going to be sharing tonight about how she pulled out of that. Now, I want you also to know that we are going to be doing two other episodes. I want you to also tune into those. They will be next week and the following week where we will be talking a little bit about comparison and how often women struggle with comparing themselves to other women. And that can often lead to very negative self-talk that can lead to depression. And then our last episode, we are going to cap off the series by talking about where depression unfortunately often leads, which is suicidal thoughts and how suicide is never the answer. So you do not want to miss this entire series, but tonight we will be starting with just hearing from Susie. Now, those of you who do not know Susie, I just want to introduce her to you. She does all sorts of fabulous things for us on the blog. She is our technology consultant. She is the one that is responsible for putting together this entire podcast. I would still be looking at videos on YouTube and researching how to do what we're doing right now. And Susie put it together in about three minutes. And she also is a wonderful communicator. She writes for BeulahGirl.com, which is where this podcast is coming out of. And she also does speaking. She is a teacher. She is an instructional technology specialist for a local school district here. She leads worship on occasion. And she also is an event coordinator sort of on the side. And there's probably five other things she does as well that I don't know anything about. Um, But Susie does in, in about one minute what most of us are working on for about a month. So she's just a fantastic friend of mine and I've known her for about 10 years but this is really the first time I've heard some of the details of her story so I'm so grateful that Susie has chosen to share with all of us her healing story it says in Revelation 12:11 that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony and so hearing others stories of healing can help us so much in our own journey and it also helps those who share them to further gain healing in their journey over whatever it is that Satan tried to use to tear them down. Well, after an introduction like that, I feel like Superwoman, which is not how I feel on the inside at all. And so I really appreciate you being such a good friend to me and saying all those really nice things. Um, But tonight we're going to talk a little bit about a story that was a lot darker. Right now I am in a good place. Things are not perfect, and if you ever visit my blog, which is called TheBeamInMyEye.com, the beam in my eye is huge and multi-splintered, <laughs> and so, um, but I want to talk about tonight uh, depression, and I want to start with telling you that I am a good old-fashioned Pentecostal girl, and so a lot of people out in the world will automatically think I'm crazy by hearing that, because um, 
we were the people who back in the day didn't cut our hair, long skirts, all that. Now, thankfully, I grew up in an era where that had already passed by. But I still have a grandmother who uh, helped my dad raise me and everything involved. If you're in the South, you did wear a slip under every dress. You did not wear it above your knees. I mean, I, I definitely um, had a little time of it, you know, um, growing up as a teenager with this strict grandma. But I really do owe her everything. And so um, we were in church all the time because of that. And I wouldn't trade that because my brothers and I all serve the Lord. And that is a miracle because we did have some troubles in our childhood, which maybe I could talk about on a different episode, not today. Um, but because of all that and because of this, you know, the full name of Pentecostal is Pentecostal holiness. And so, you know, I learned that there was a way you're supposed to live. It wasn't just, Jesus loves me. Let me act however I want. I'm so free. And he does love us no matter how we act. But um, what I learned was that, you know, my behavior should reflect who I say I am. You know, I shouldn't be a hypocrite. I shouldn't, uh, you know, just say I'm a Christian and then live in a way that nobody would know that. So when I became a really not even a, just a teenager, a late teenager, you know, um, leaving high school, going into college. And I started to deal with a lot of sexual temptation. It created this tension in me. And um, I've always been a rule follower. I'll talk about in a further post some of my little nicknames I had. Um, but I've always been a rule follower. But I felt, I guess, the tension that Paul felt when he said in Romans seven fifteen, I do not understand what I do for what I do want to do. I do not do for I hate, for, but what I hate, I do. That's hard to even say. It's like a tongue twister here. Um, but I definitely felt that, you know, if you're someone who believes that whatever you want to do is okay, you would not have felt the tension I felt, but I'm a, you know, I know what to do. And here I am not doing it the same way that Paul did. And so when I began to sin sexually, it created depression in me really from the age of 17 until um, 23 is when I got married, but I really feel like it lasted beyond that because then after you uh, deal with sexual temptation and depression and you fall to that, then you have to recover from that. So the, probably it was closer to six years. It was like a whole recovery period, you know. And um, so when you are tense and angry and frustrated and it turns inward, then that turns into depression. And so when I would get up in the morning, I mean, I had horrible self-hatred. When I, I remember, I say walking in the grocery store in the post that's related to this, but I really remember walking through the Kroger in Ackworth and just saying on an endless repeat, I hate myself. Not out loud, obviously. I wasn't, I wasn't to that level. Um, but then, you know, also when I would lay my head on my pillow at night, my brother, John Curtis, we're country, we say things like that. But my brother, you know, had the room next door to me and he could hear him, hear me crying. And he really did try to help um, in his limited way of knowing what was going on, but nobody could give me the solution to what I was dealing with. Susie, I have to laugh. I did not, not at your story of depression. Okay, let me clarify. Let me just back up to where you're saying you wore a slip. Um, I did not grow up in the South, but I did grow up as a good 80s girl. So I too was forced to wear a slip and it was something that jumped out at me as I read your post because I just thought it was so funny and it's just not something you really see emphasized today uh, but I too did have to um, wear wear a slip you say um, your depression was linked to a series of choices you made do you feel like that's the case for everybody 
Carol, that's a great question. And it kind of reminds me of Job, which you've talked about recently. And all of his friends said really helpful things like, mm, are you sure you didn't sin? And that's what caused this. So I want to say depression is a real disease. And I don't want anyone listening to this who did not have my story to feel like that because they have depression, which is a medical condition, that that is related to sin. That is something that they need to work out with God. He tells us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. So for me, um, you're going to hear again in a later post that I just was a really happy person. There was nothing and there is nothing really in my personality that is a melancholic. Like if you, you know, take the, I can't even remember what the test is called, but you know, your phlegmatic, choleric, sanguine, or melancholic. Um, my tendency is towards sanguine and choleric, which means I'm bossy and I like the center of attention, <laughs> which I've written about for you, Carol, before. So um, I, there's nothing in me that's like the quiet self-reflective, you know, I'm going to sit around. And so it was not for me a physical issue, but depression is a real disease. And so people who are listening maybe are depressed or maybe they're just listening for hope for a friend, you know, maybe a resource they can give somebody. Um, in my case, I had such frequent and constant at times episodes that if I had gone to the doctor, which I should have done, I would have been diagnosed as clinically depressed. So there's, you know, I'm not a doctor. I don't want to go into the whole clinical versus, you know, episodes of depression. But I do want to say this, that depression is a real disease. And if people are listening who, you know, there's something maybe there is a brain chemical that is not making a connection. There's medicine that can fix that. You know, you can not be afraid to, to you know, have to go see somebody. What I was doing, though, is I was, I, I liken it to a turntable, or I was putting on the record of self-hatred and worthlessness, and I just let it go, go, go. Um, you know, and I do want to say this. My husband really does like doing a lot of brain research. He's read all kinds of books about how, you know, our brains can rewire themselves even. And whatever pathway our brain has learned to go down, it becomes physically deeper. It, we're building like ridges, kind of like if you think of under the ocean or something. And so for me, the more that I dwelled on something, you know, either a good thing or a bad thing, you know, the more prone I was to feel that it was truth and that it was, you know, I feel that way about myself. And sometimes even when you're depressed, you feel like it's maybe thoughts from God, like God is the one hating you. And um, so, you, you kind of, because you've traveled that pathway so often, forget what's you, what's true, what's not. And so I don't want to say that, you know, whoever's listening, I don't want to say what your physical or genetic tendencies toward depression are. I just want to say that my depression was a result of choices. And um, I want to talk about, you know, a little bit more in just a minute, my choices, how they impacted my hopelessness, and then kind of lead you to a little bit of how I found hope again. And again, we're giving you a teaser because it's a three-part series. So, you know, kind of some solutions you can take uh, if you if yours is like mine that could give you some hope again. Well, Susie, I think you're basically gave me some terms that I don't think I'm smart enough to understand with um, what you're talking about as far as different kinds of brains, but I think the important thing that, that you're trying to emphasize and that you want listeners to know is that all depression is not for the same reasons and that you're simply sharing your story. And yes, your depression was very much caused by choices and that internal struggle. And really, as you were struggling with a, a sin struggle, you very much turned inward and you know, focused some very hateful thoughts towards yourself because you were so, sounds like, disgusted with some of the choices you were making. But there are other reasons that people can suffer from depression after a major loss of some kind uh, because of some sort of perceived or real failure, because of, 
you know, mul a multitude of reasons. So very much good that you remind us that you're simply sharing your experience, but there can be so many other reasons for depression. And then it's good to go ahead and wrestle through those things with God or with, with a professional counselor and kind of find out where you are and what's going on with you on your journey. I'm talking to you on the other side of your depression as a journey that you are you've already gone through but what do you want people to know about your healing okay so kind of getting back to I just wanted to pause I didn't want anybody to feel like you know they're listening to this and start analyzing themselves and thinking what's wrong with me that I'm depressed because that's not certainly the point but um, I do want to kind of share a little bit more of my testimony so um, you know I want to talk about how I told you that it was in the transition from high school to college that I first had this experience. And, um, you know, I lived at home. I still worked a local job. I was a waitress, you know, then I became a nanny. But in college, like sometimes I would drive all the way to school and be like, ah, I can miss two days without it coming against my grade. I think I'll take today off or whatever. So you can go to school if you want to. You know, my nicknames in middle and high school, one of them was Goody Squared. That actually started, I think, in the eighth grade. But even a good girl, when you get in college, oh my word, your your worldviews are all changed. And I wasn't even at some, at that time, big college. But, um, you know, you've got these choices, you've got these alternative worldviews, I guess, that are coming your way that high school teachers would never have shared. Because we're a government institution, you know, we're not allowed to share political views or religious views, but that is totally different in college. And so, um, you know, in college, you're beginning to spread your wings and you're finally making your own choices. And at my house, I didn't have a curfew, which was a terrible idea. Parents, if you're listening, you know, if they're going to live at your house, make them come in at a decent time, just saying. But, um, you know, all of that looseness created bad situations for me and then the freedom to put myself in those situations. And for me, that was sexually. So I am not going to go through and detail all of our testimony. If you want to come see me in person, we could chat about that. Um, but I do want to say this, that um, sex is a beautiful thing that God created, but this world has so transformed it into something that is just about feeling good. It is that, but the world has made it just that. And um, so every time I was getting this physical excitement, my spirit and my, uh, my spirit knew that my body and my soul were, you know, sinning against God because I am a Christian. I do believe that it's, you know, wrong to have sex before marriage. And so that was my depression trigger. And, you know, I was getting this attention from that. But then, you know, I had the pull toward God, which was causing guilt. And so what I got was closeness and thrill for the moment. But then afterward, regret, shame, self-hatred. Um, I didn't write this in the post, but there was a day uh, that I had to stay out of work because I was so mentally anguished over, you know, not even nothing, I guess that the world would say nothing had happened, but just this tension of what might have happened could have happened. And um, that cycle lasted for five years. And like I said, then that recovery year, even after we got married. So you would think that if sexual sin was the cause of my depression, that when I got married, and you know, the Bible says, you know, that the marriage bed is undefiled, you would think that everything, you know, would have been hunky dory after that. But again, having to heal from years of disobeying God, and then all of a sudden, it's not just like, oh, yeah, that didn't mean anything, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, it's normal now, but having to cope with how do I apologize to God? But then how do I quit beating myself up and allow myself to be free in something that is permitted in marriage? So um, 
you know, that's just kind of my story that, you know, the, the constant tension, again, turned inward, became that depression. You mentioned that your healing was more gradual, that it didn't happen instantly, that even after you were married and the cycle of sexual sin stopped, but it wasn't immediately. So tell us exactly how you managed to overcome this dark period in your life. That's a really good question, and I think I want to attack it from two different ways. And first of all, I want to say, while I was in the depression, that I had two friends who would not let me hurt myself, step one. And we're going to talk about that later um, in the post about suicide that you mentioned. But I had two friends that just let me say what I needed to say over and over and over again. I mean, it's what it felt like to me. Just I might have been redundant. And um, but they never gave up on me. And so while I was in that time pre-marriage, you know, during the depression, but then even after I got married and I talked a minute ago about, you know, apologizing to God, there is a thing called repentance. And we've talked about it on this podcast and you've talked about it in this blog, but it's changing your way. And I don't think that, you know, I conveniently was married. And so now things were allowed. I've, I've mentioned that, but it's God knows the condition of your heart. And so while I didn't feel like, you know, I would, I would, you know, tell God I was sorry when things were going on before marriage, but I obviously did not change my ways. And um, so when I got married and I no longer had to change my ways, at that point I had to change my heart. And I had to, um, you know, tell God I was sorry, but then also help him or let him help me forgive myself. That was probably the hardest part and could have led to more depression. And um, I want to just, you know, say with that, that if I had continued, and I did for a while, if I had continued dwelling and dwelling and dwelling on how I wasn't good, and God, I always wanted to be a virgin when I got married, and God, you know, all of this was so, you know, terrible, and I'm a terrible person. If I had just continued to let that play and play and play, I would not be, I don't even think a healthy person today, I don't even think I would be a functioning person today. Your mind controls so much of what you live out and what you're able to do. And so I want to say to people who are like me and are, you know, have come out that there still might be a time to go, a a temptation at times to go back into that old way. And you might think it's weird I say temptation, but for me, um, you know, I, I told you earlier that I'm a sanguine person. Sanguine people are center of attention kind of people. We're, you know, very comfortable in front of a crowd. And you know, for me, it could be a temptation to wallow in depressive thoughts, even in kind of a manipulative way. And we'll talk about that. Uh, I keep saying we'll talk about that later, but this is a three-part series. So we do want to make sure that, you know, we tease every part out fully. And, um, you know, just a quick example that I was at in a bookstore parking lot. I always remember where I was for whatever reason. I was in a bookstore parking lot and for about 30 minutes, I fell prey again to the level of depression that I had not had in years. And um, I sat there and I just started hating myself again. But for 30 minutes, that sounds so bizarre. But I knew during, I was like, no, wait a minute. This could be something that starts and, and, you know, continues on for another five years. And I'm not okay with that. So I knew I had to be free. So out loud in my car, I started talking to my thoughts and to Satan, because sometimes you can't even tell the difference. And, um, you know, I said, I am not going to believe these thoughts again. I will be free. And I got myself out of that car and I went in the bookstore and I was totally fine. And that sounds so weird. You're like, that's not real depression if you got over it. No, there was something so freeing about being free. You know, he says it will be free indeed that, um, 
I was not going to go back into that again. I'm like, I refuse to be held captive again. So if you are someone who is feeling like, you know, that, um, you know, you're, you're still feeling pulled into that after you've been delivered, or if you're someone who's currently in it and feels like you can't be delivered, the power of saying out loud, I am not going to be a victim here. I'm not going to be accosted by you anymore. Satan really can set us free. I think it's really important for readers and listeners to know that you mentioned repentance helped, you know, obviously in your journey because your depression was caused because of a a cycle of sin that you were caught in. But just as we said earlier in the podcast, not all depression is caused by a personal sin issue. And so not all depression, the way out is not always going to be, you know, I want to make that clear that sometimes you may be feeling depressed because it's just a natural reaction to a loss in your life or a failure of some kind. So it's not necessarily because of a sin that you have to repent, but definitely in your story it was true. So for each you know, episode, everybody's a little bit different and God knows the reasons for what we are feeling and thinking and he knows the perfect solution. So it's only in really turning to him that we can, we can find that. I wanna also say too, um, there was just an article that I've, I read some time ago, I think it's so important that you emphasized to people listening that when we are healed of something, we will have attacks in that same area once again. It's so important to know that because I think for many of us that we can heap condemnation on ourselves if we have a struggle in a similar area, but we can be healed and have a struggle again but the fact that you were able to recognize in your own life and say, I'm, I'm not going to go there anymore. I'm not going to continue having these thoughts. And you were able to stop those thoughts is evidence that you had made progress and you were healed and that you stopped those thoughts. The article I mentioned, it's called The Simple Truth That Can Read Out Eating Disorders. It's not on depression. It was on Charisma Magazine, just an online site. But I'm sorry. Um, it's not, yeah, it's not in depression, it's on eating disorders, but a similar concept can be taken away from this article. But in this article, this woman, she's struggled with an eating disorder, she was healed of it, but then years later, after she was healed, she went through a stressful move, a new job, all, of, she had some new changes in her life and she began to feel stress, and a, she turned to her own coping mechanism, which had been to count calories, to not take care of herself the way that she should and she started losing weight in a very unhealthy way again and she turned to God in desperation and she felt like God really gave her kind of a truth to hold on to and that's that repeats of the same spiritual attack are to be expected mm-hmm. and she just began to realize that Satan was trying to get her bogged down in this area that she had been set free in and that it wasn't that she wasn't healed but it's that she had to take a stand once again in that same area just as you were describing and that i think that's important for all of us to know whether our struggles with depression or eating disorder or addiction that after we're healed that there will still be times that we may feel tempted in a similar area but we can take a stand there's a song that we sing in our church and it says it's by river valley worship and it says um i am healed i know i am because my god says i am come what may my faith will stand i am healed i know i am Whenever I hear that song, I always think to myself, sometimes it is kind of that stand you have to take and say, 
God healed me of this. I'm going to take a stand against this in my life. I'm not going to let it destroy me anymore. Because Satan tries to get us to think that you will never change. You will always be the same. You will always struggle with this. And you're never going to overcome it. And your God's not big enough to help you overcome it. And that's not the truth. So, Susie, we're just going to end with you telling us a little bit about a scripture you included at the end of your post that has been very meaningful to you, and that's Psalm 27, 13 to 14. Can you share a little bit about that? Absolutely. And if people want to look up the scripture, the whole chapter of Psalm 27 is really not that long, and it would be worth memorizing. But the part that I wrote in my post says, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. And, um, you know, I'm living proof that we do not have to wait till we get to heaven to see the goodness of God. And I just would stand on that promise. I remember even though I was a public school teacher, don't tell. Uh, I had, I mean, that part's obvious, but I had this scripture taped up behind my desk. I actually took, when Carol left teaching, I took her classroom and I had her same, you know, little setup. And I had it just taped on my door. And when I was in the midst of this um, depression for different reasons, it was kind of a recurrence for different things that were associated with my teaching. Um, I just remember the scripture being so good to me. You know, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And um, we don't have to wait till we get to heaven to have abundant life. We don't have to wait till we get to heaven to be healed. And um, so we just want to encourage you, you know, to reach out. And Carol's going to tell you just a little bit more about that. So to conclude then, one of the things you say at the end of your post is we're in this together. If you are listening to this and you're suffering from depression, um, then I just want to encourage you to get some help from friends or a counselor that can come alongside you and help rescue you out of your pit. You may feel like you have to have it all together as a Christian. I know that for many of us, it feels like a shameful thing to talk about depression or to tell someone, I'm really not doing okay. But the truth is that there are highs and lows in our spiritual journey, and it's okay to say that I need help. I, I'm not doing okay. I, I, I need someone to listen to me. You don't have to be embarrassed. You don't have to beat yourself up. The Bible tells us that we are to bear one another's burdens, and that's Galatians 6.2. In Ecclesiastes 4.9, it says that though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves in a court of three strands is not quickly broken. So it's important that we seek out help if we need it, or we be the friend of somebody who is struggling and, and needs help from us. Also, I think it's important to know that there are so many men and women in the Bible who had very real struggles, and I'm not going to get into a long explanation, but Elijah, after calling fire down from heaven, went away by himself and was deeply, deeply depressed. We have Job, who I've talked about in a previous podcast, who, because of what happened in his life, went through a process of deep depression that he processed through with friends that were really that caring to him. David is another example of somebody who penned his emotions in the Psalms. And these were incredible men of God. And yet they struggled with very dark periods. So we need to know that Christians struggle with depression, that it's okay to say that we need help. So if that's you today, just know that. Reach out. Talk to a counselor, a pastor, somebody who can listen and be there for you in your journey. I just want to end us in prayer. And thank Susie once again for 
sharing her incredible story and just being so vulnerable and honest in her own journey. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I just thank you for every single woman listening. I thank you for Susie and for her sharing her story so that others can find healing. I pray for every woman listening to this podcast. If they are just down, if they don't even know why, maybe they're looking for answers and they just seem to be praying these prayers that it just feels like you're not answering or you're not there. I pray, Lord, that it says in in your word that you will rescue us, that you save us, not in just an eternal salvation kind of sense, but that you are a savior to us in every single problem that we face. You can have an answer for us and you are the solution. So I just pray that you be that to the women who are listening. And I also pray, Lord, if if the women listening aren't struggling with depression, that you would help them to just be aware of the people in their life and to be a good friend and help to bear other people's burdens as, as the Word of God tells us to do. In your name, amen.